Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, We are continuing our sermon series called Journey to Freedom. We've been looking at what it looks like uh, to understand the freedom that we have in Christ, how to apply it, how to begin to walk it out in the activity of our life. And a lot of that has been forward motion. How do I keep moving forward? This morning, we're going to go backwards a little bit. We're going to talk about how to go backwards to go forward or how to lose, to win, uh, really how to let go in order to receive more and move forward in the things that God has for us. And in 1982, there was an NCAA football game that was played between Stanford and Cal. And Stanford had just uh, scored and was uh, kicking the ball back to Cal, presumably to run out the clock. Like the game was all but done, seconds remaining. And what happened in those closing moments has been referred to as the play. Capital T, capital P, the play. And it is one of the most memorable moments in college football history. And rather than me try to describe it to you, I've got a short video for you to check. Harmon will probably try to flip it, and he does. Ball comes loose, and the Bears have to get out of bounds. Rodgers along the sideline, another one. They're still in deep trouble at midfield. They tried to do a couple of... The ball is still loose as they get it to Rodgers. They give it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. All the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. He's going to the Bears. The Bears have won. The Bears have won. Oh, my God, the most amazing, sensational, dramatic, heart-rending, exciting, thrilling finish in the history of college football. No way I was going to be able to do it as exciting uh, as that guy. The most amazing, the most stupendous, right, uh, college football play ever. Five laterals. The last one, I don't even know if you saw the guy threw it. He didn't even look. He just threw it backwards behind his shoulder, and the guy caught it. Bands on the field. Trombone player gets creamed at the end. Everybody saw that. You can actually find interviews with the trombone player on YouTube where he talks about that experience. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. But I, I love that play. There's five laterals in that where somebody's got the ball. They're running. This is their moment for glory. But in order for the team to be successful, they had to give it up. They had to toss it back. And over and over again, as they're getting kind of crowded out and as they're getting pressed by the defense, they're tossing it back. Everybody just assumed the game was over. The band's out on the field. Opposing players are out on the field. It was an incredible, an incredible moment in football history. But what is illustrated there is the need at times for us to give up what we have in order for somebody else to move forward. And in doing that, we all get to move forward and win together. In, in Christ, you have been set free. Everybody say, I'm free. Okay, you need to believe that, you need to know that, you need to start walking in a confidence that applies that to your everyday decision making, your relationships, your interactions, and the trajectory of the way that you go about living your life. But also, at the same time, Scripture encourages us to exercise our freedom in a way that brings others into freedom as well. 
See, the things that God wants to do in your life, it's not just about you. It's not just about your fruitfulness and your fulfillment. It's not just about his plans and purposes for you uniquely as an individual without consideration of others. Everything that God has designed you for is to partner with him into doing dramatic kingdom things in the world around you in a way that impacts the lives of others. And your freedom is to be exercised in a way where it begins to offer freedom to others. And this can be difficult for us because a lot of times the way that we have to exercise our freedom in, a, in order to bring others into freedom is to actually lay down our freedom or our rights, to prefer others to give them an opportunity to move forward. And this is super difficult for us because we want our own way, right? Not you guys, but that nine o'clock service full of people who just want their way, right? We, we, we would prefer things to be the way that we want them. And so we're going to talk about really how to overcome that tendency and to, to, to move towards a spiritual maturity that is expressed in allowing our freedom at times to be limited so that we can lead others into the freedom that is theirs in Christ as well. If you got your Bible, go ahead and get those out. Smartphone or tablets, open up your Bible apps. Lord, we ask that you give us soft hearts today to hear from your word. Lord, give us a willingness to be challenged by your spirit. Sometimes our fierce individuality and our preference of self get in the way of the things that you would really want to do in our lives and through us as a benefit to others. And so, Lord, give us just a pliability in your hands today uh, and give us a willingness to receive from you um, and to move forward into the things that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be looking at several passages this morning in a number of different books. We're going to be jumping around in Romans. 1 Corinthians and Galatians, and so we'll be bouncing around, and we'll get there in just a few minutes. But Paul, as he's writing to the church, a a majority of the New Testament are letters from the Apostle Paul to the church over a variety of different uh, subjects, both doctrinally and uh, theologically, uh, practically, and just kind of how to go about being uh, the body of Christ, in a sense. And there's some common themes in all of his letters. Now, you've got common themes like the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and salvation and faith and things along those lines. But there's some really practical ones that are threaded through his letters as well. One of the big things that Paul spends a lot of time talking about is unity. Uh, Being together, not being divisive, not being in discord, not being separated, but being one in Christ. He uses the metaphor of the body of Christ towards that end, that we're all unique and different and have a variety of functions, but we come together and we are one body and Christ is the head, right? And so he uses this oftentimes as a, a, a common theme, but one of the other common themes in Paul's letter revolves around the tension and conflict between what he calls the strong and the weak. Maybe you're familiar with a few of those passages, but he'll refer to individuals who are strong or weak, and he'll use even statements like this, those who are strong in their faith or weak in their faith respond in these types of ways. And sometimes it's hard for us to really approach this issue or this theme well because we automatically put ourselves in what group? right? We're the strong group. And if there's a weak group in this church, what? It's the nine o'clock service, right? They would say the same about you. You got extra sleep to get here. So who really needed it? But right, we, we, have, the, we have the tendency to, if there's a, a difference, like we're going to see ourselves favorably and we're going to put others, whoever they are, 
into maybe that other camp. A better way for us to understand this is what Paul's talking about is the way that spiritual maturity gets expressed in relationships. And as we're going to look at this idea of strong and weak, it's important for us to recognize that Paul actually doesn't say one is somehow more preferred than the other. He actually brings correction and direction to both, regardless of where they are on the, kind of this relationship, practical spectrum of interaction in the church. And so we're going to look at a couple, uh, uh, several different uh, letters that he had to the church. We're going to look in the book of Romans. We're going to look in 1 Corinthians. We're going to look in Galatians. Because in all of those letters, he deals with these types of issues. And the issue of spiritual maturity that he is kind of bringing about this um, conflict or this tension between the strong and the weak, really what is at stake is the freedom that one has versus another, but more importantly, how it's being exercised. And what he would say is that the way that we exercise our freedom in Christ will let us know whether or not we're actually spiritually mature in our understanding of who we are and what God is doing and where that maybe there's room for growth for you and I. Uh, I'm going to be, only be able to touch on a few verses this morning, so I'm going to give you some big chapters that maybe if you're a little bit more interested, if you've got a kind of a disciplined devotional life or you like extra study, there's some direction I want to give you for later on this week. Uh, in Romans chapter 14 and 15, right? So note takers for later, write these things down and you can sniff this out on your own. Romans uh, chapter 14 and 15 is where in that letter, Paul really unpacks this idea of the strong and the weak. And in this context, there's some things that tension is being created around. Number one, it's being created around what to eat, right? Some dietary do's and don'ts. And the other, what days are more important than the others? The sacred days or the holy days, the days that are supposed to be somehow observed in a special way. And if you were going to um, take this um, issue in Romans and kind of turn it into just a statement... Here is what the, uh, the, the difference is or where the strong and the weak are um, differing in their understanding. They are revolving around the statement, you cannot do that. Okay, Romans chapter 14 and 15 has to do with you can't do that. And maybe if you just think about church and how you've grown up, maybe there's a lot of that in your, uh, in, in your history. Maybe you heard a lot of, well, you can't do that, that's what's going on in the Roman, uh, the Roman church and what he's going to be talking about. In 1 Corinthians, okay, chapters 8, 9, and 10, so again, if you want a little bit more places to study or look at this week, I would encourage you to go into that. What he is dealing with is the tension or the conflict between the individual and the community. He's dealing with a kind of a divisiveness that revolves around the me versus the we, and the statement of, of difference or the problematic statement in 1 Corinthians is a statement that was a colloquial phrase within the church and the community at the time, and it was, everything is permissible. Okay, so Romans, the strong and the weak are having some tension created around this idea of you can't do that and what that means. In 1 Corinthians, it has to do with more of uh, what are the limits to freedom. Everything is permissible uh, is really another way of saying, I can do whatever I want. Not we can do whatever we want, not a consideration even of the whole, but I get to do whatever I want. We've got some phrase even in our kind of current culture right now, which would be you do you, right? And I'll do me and just like, 
let me be. Like that's this type of an idea. That there's not really a consideration of the we or the us. There's not a community. It's just let me do whatever I want. You do whatever you want. And we'll just somehow get along. Uh, But there's actually no parameters. There's no boundaries. And that type of uh, permissive freedom is often self-destructive. And so the Corinthian church gets some correction there. So you've got the you can't do that that Paul is dealing with between the strong and the weak, the I can do whatever I want, and so he has to deal with that as well. And then in his letter to Galatia, uh, the book of Galatians is a letter that went to a whole collective of churches in a specific area. In chapter 5, he brings a, a correction on how to walk in freedom in a way that is beneficial. And the issue at hand in the book of Galatians isn't the necessarily you can't do that, but their kind of discrepancy, conflict, or disagreement had to do with religious cultural expressions and observations. And really the statement was you have to do it this way. It's not that you can't do that, but this is the only way to do it correctly or right. And so Paul brings about a whole bunch of correction and kind of redirection in that, and it revolves around freedom and how it's to be expressed, and it ends up creating tension between what he calls the strong and the weak. Now, with the strong and the weak designation, again, we have a tendency, we like the strong language and we want to be strong. We don't like the weak language and we don't want to be that. But remember, Paul is going to bring correction to both groups on the spectrum. Because what is at stake is a middle ground that has been lost, and there's a polarization between the two, and because of that, they're losing relationship and unity, and unity as one in Christ is to be preserved really at all costs. And one of the things that you find is that Paul sees both of them to be prone to error. So whether at the beginning of this you would say, well, I'm the strong one and my neighbor's the weak, or I'm the weak one and my spouse might be the strong, however you would start to kind of differentiate yourself into specific categories, Paul would say both are prone to abuse and both are prone to error. And in Romans chapter 14, as he begins to kind of unpack some of the the challenges there, uh, again, theirs had to do with diet and it had to do with sacred days. I'm going to read a few verses that won't be on the screen, but it's going to set the context for this for you. In verse 2, he says, One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. So in the context, there were those who ate anything, and there were those who had limited their diet to just being vegetarian. And Paul is not talking about somebody's faith being insufficient or weak in a sense that somehow that's not good enough, but that they are limited by their convictions. Their conscience would say, I can only uh, uh, adhere to this diet, but not the rest of this. And so Paul says, hey, here's this discrepancy and there's this difference. In verse 5, he says, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. And so again, in that context, there were those that were like, no, this is a special day and you need to observe it in a special way. And then there were those that would say, well, that's just another day for me. And in your kind of church history and kind of your upbringing, you could maybe kind of go back to these types of things. You know, when I grew up in church, it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Those were church days. You didn't really do any churchy stuff on any other days, but you didn't do anything but church 
on those days. And that was just kind of the way that it was in, in the context that I grew, grew up in. So the idea of like with us now doing connect groups on a variety of different nights, you didn't do that. You did small groups on Wednesday night and you did it at church and you did it in the separate room. Like there was, that's how you did it. That would be kind of the, the, the problem with the idea of you have to do it this way. And then there were things growing up where you can't do that. I remember walking into church one morning and I had my hat on and my own grandpa snatched it off the top of my head and he said, you don't wear hats in church, right? You, you can't do that. Same type of a thing. And so those are, those are some of the just uh, practical nuances in my own life where I've seen some of this stuff. When Paul identifies kind of this special day or this, the, the, the only way that you do this, there's a, an interesting thing that he says here in verse 3. He says, the man who eats everything is not to look down on the, uh, on the one who does not. And then he says, and the man who does not eat everything is not to condemn the one who does. And what you find in that verse is Paul bringing an awareness to regardless of whether you would see yourself as the strong or the weak or the more free or the less free, the one who has kind of more permissive, just uh, uh, practical expression, or the one who is a little bit more limited, Paul would say both of those are prone to abuse, and here's what the abuse looks like. The one who has a little bit more of a limitation that is self-imposed would look at the other with judgment and condemnation. I can't believe they would do that. You can't do that, right? And then the one who does that and sees the one who will not would look at them down their nose. And it literally says, don't look down on, but the Greek word means to render as nothing. It means to dismiss or belittle somebody to the place that they have no value or place. It's kind of like, be gone. And those are the attitudes that creep in when we uh, have a, a freedom or a, a, a discipline in our lives that is different than those around us that we somehow feel the right to hold to and preserve rather than to consider how we can use that towards the benefit of others. And so the tension and the conflict is really revolving around that. What is freedom and how is it to be expressed? What does it look like? And then the, uh, the tension, it really should be something that we expect, right? Sometimes we, we look at tension or conflict within uh, a body of believers or the church at large, sometimes even uh, looking at church history and kind of rendering our own critique of that, and we would somehow think that that conflict or, or things like that, that, that they're bad uh, in and of themselves. But we should actually expect tension and conflict within the body of Christ because we're all at different stages in our understanding of who Jesus is and where we've surrendered things in our life. You want to use the journey type of language. We're all at different stages in our journey. We're all going the same direction towards Jesus, but we maybe haven't traveled the same distance yet. And so those are going to be things that are a part of this. And so when you start looking at this and start considering what it looks like to exercise your freedom, there are some things that if you are growing in spiritual maturity will be a part of the way that you exercise your freedom in Christ. And they're practical things that you can actually almost have a check mark 
or a list uh, to adhere to. You, it's a litmus test that you can actually lay over your life and you can say, man, in this area, I'm not walking in spiritual maturity. There's some growth that's needed there. In this area, man, I'm, I've, I, I got that one right. And sometimes those things are helpful for us as we're moving forward. But just as a reminder, we have a tendency to start with the idea that we are the strong and whoever the other than is the weak, that our perspective is the correct one and everybody else has to be wrong, that our faith is certainly the most genuine and somebody else's must become under suspect or in some ways uh, that um, we're, we're uh, further along than others. And before we get into just kind of the practical look at kind of how to assess these four, um, these four statements from Paul, I want to give you this statement. Spiritual maturity is demonstrated in deference. And I would actually encourage you to write this word down, deference, D-E-F-E-R-E-N-C-E, deference. There's going to be a vocabulary quiz next week. It's going to be a pop quiz. You guys got to know this deference. The word deference means this. It means humble, submission, and respect. Humble, submission, and respect. Spiritual maturity is demonstrated in deference. And so in your interactions with people, in the way that you would relate to others, in the way that you would exercise your freedom or choose to limit yourself, if you are not humbly submitting to others, and if you are not responding to them in respect, it is most likely that however you would look at what you were doing as being a positive thing, you are not walking in or exercising a spiritual maturity that, uh, that you would hope to. And so kind of with that, we're going to be looking at some four things uh, here in Scripture. If you've got your Bibles, go into Romans chapter 14. We're going to start there. Give you a little bit of a flyover a little bit earlier, but we're going to be there in earnest now. And what we're going to do is I'm going to give you four things this morning, how to exercise your freedom in Christ. Four things that you should be able to see in the way that you're relating to others, uh, whether or not you are exercising your freedom in a way that is spiritually mature and moving you forward into the things that God has for you. In Romans chapter 14, verse 1, it says this as Paul starts his section uh, in his letter, he says, accept, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. A better way to say this it would be accept the one who has some limitations in the freedom that they feel like they can exercise. That's really what he's talking about there accept those who, who don't exercise their freedom to the degree that you do in that area or in this issue. Accept them without... And so the first way that you and I are to exercise our freedom in Christ is to do it in a way that accepts others that it accepts others. And that means some specific things. One is it means that we do not disassociate. That if I'm going to accept others in, in, in the exercise of my freedom, that I'm not going to exercise my freedom in a way that disassociates or divorces myself from others. I'm going to accept them. I'm going to uh, preserve, relate, firm another's conviction. 
and be able to do that without making it my own. That's actually a really challenging one when it comes to affirming another's conviction without making it my own. And there's any number of ways that you can kind of wrestle out that type of example within the church or within the Christian community. But to accept others means that I'm going to receive them and I'm going to preserve relationship really at all costs short of walking into willful rebellion or misalignment from the Lord. I'm going to accept others. And in doing that, there's going to be a place where uh, to do that, if I've got more freedom in an area of my life than the one who I need to accept, I'm going to actually have to pull back a little bit in order to maintain a seat next to them. And I'm choosing deference. I'm choosing to humbly submit to their limitations in order to stay with them and not leave them behind. In Romans chapter 15, so in Romans chapter 14, Paul opens with this and then he unpacks uh, a lot of stuff around that idea of diet and sacred days. And then in Romans chapter 15, verse 2, he says this. He says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. Now, a better way to say that in the way that we're understanding this would be we who have less limitation in this specific issue or area of life should bear with the one who has more of that limitation. Not to please ourselves, that the primary consideration isn't what I want. It's not my preference, although that's usually where I lean, right? I want my way, but that I put that aside considering them. Each of us should please our neighbor for their good and to build them up. So this verse talking about this idea of we don't just accept others, but we're going to bear with others. Now, a lot of times when I read something like that, it means like, ah, fine, I'm going to like tolerate your existence and you can like, like be mm, like around me. Like that, it's not, it's not just like that. Like it's not persevering somebody's existence. Like this idea of really bearing with them, it's, it's, it's uh, lending your strength. It's holding the, the burden together. It really means that I'm going to take on their limitation. Bear with those, the failings of the weak. I'm going to assume the limitation of the other. I'm going to forgo my freedom or my right. I'm going to pull back from what I could have that might even be my preference, but I'm going to bear this limitation with them. Why? Because the relationship and preserving unity is more important than my preference and my own expressed freedom or individuality or attaining my rights. A great example of this is when the county fair comes. Uh, so the, a couple years ago, they, we didn't have the county fair. Well, we had the fair, but we didn't have the carnival that came with it. And this last year, we did. And I've already uh, talked about this on a few different occasions. But this last year, first time ever, we got the wristbands, which, which was like uh, all the rides for all of the week. And so dad got one because he wanted to be fun dad this year. And I got one for all of the kids. And we just, we just made it our thing. We were going to go big on that. But you know what? I rode a lot of little kid rides. I was in the, like the Dumbo ride a lot. I was in the teacups a lot. 
right? I was in kind of those rides where you just kind of, you sit on the, the wave runner and it just kind of goes in circles and it's, it just goes in a circle. It's just a merry-go-round and an up and down, right? There's much more exciting rides and I am tall enough to ride all of them. I'll let you know. Why was I riding these other rides? Because I was riding with my children. There were, ones, there were rides that they preferred. And then there were rides that they couldn't ride because of their age or their height or, or, or their weight. And so instead of just going on everything that was afforded to me and just saying, hey, wait in line, kids. Dad will be back after he's had his fun time. I limited my activity. I changed my decisions and my choices. Not because I couldn't, not because I didn't prefer, but because I wanted to be with my children. That's this idea, this, the strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. Those who have more uh, ability, who have more freedom, who have more access, who have more resource, when it comes to preserving relationship and thinking about others and providing care for others, that there should be a purposed limitation, self-imposed, that I should take the ball and I should toss it to them and I should let them run so that we can all run together into a better future, that we can all win together. That's what this verse is talking about here. We exercise our freedom by accepting others. We exercise our freedom by bearing with others. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is closing out a chapter where he's been talking about what it looks like to, uh, um, to move away from the I can do whatever I want type of view on life uh, to being a little bit more disciplined and purposed in spiritual pursuits. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 31, he says this. So he's, he's dealt with kind of the eating, the drinking, the activity of life, but he says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, that's a nice way of saying, hey, whatever the issue is that is creating a a, a, a separation between those who feel like they can exercise their freedom and those who feel they, like they don't have the freedom to do that. And whatever those matters, first of all, make sure that you are considering the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. And then once that's been considered, the second consideration, guess what? It's not you. It's not yourself. The, cons- the second consideration is the other individual. Do not cause anyone to stumble whether Jews or Greeks or of the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. We accept others, we bear with others, but then we consider others. We think about others. And not just in a way where we're just like, huh, I wonder why they won't or they can't. But I begin to consider how are the actions that I'm about to undertake, how are the decisions of my life going to impact those around me? And so I'm taking into consideration the impact of what I'm doing on the lives of more than just myself and just those who are the closest to me. I'm thinking about others as well. In Galatians chapter 5, as Paul's talking about freedom there, and he uh, unpacks through that whole book the idea that we need to be free from this pressure of somehow uh, religious expectation and a works-based orientation of somehow earning God's favor. He pushes the issue of freedom and freedom in Christ through the whole book. And as you get to Galatians chapter 5, he says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge 
the flesh. Another way to say that would be, do not use your freedom to feed self. It's not just for you. It's not just for you to do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, however you would. But rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And so when it comes to our freedom in Christ, we accept others, we bear with others, we consider others, and then we actually put it into practice. We serve others. We serve others. We serve others. Our tendency is to think of ourselves as the strong. Okay, to, to think of ourselves as spiritually mature. And that is, that's the hope, I think, of everyone here. I hope that it is. That your desire is to be the man of God, the woman of God that you were created to be, and to be ever growing into that mature expression of that. Being led by the Spirit and feeding your heart and your mind with the Word of God and moving faithfully into His promises. That should be our hope and our desire. But we often express the opposite in the way that we relate to people. We often require others to somehow meet us where we are rather than allowing ourselves to forego our own freedom or right or individual preferences in order to meet them where they are. And one is much more spiritually mature than the other. When I was a youth pastor in Southern California, uh, the church right across the street from us was a Seventh-day Adventist church. Uh, and they had a new pastor, a new youth pastor who had come to town, and he had reached out. He gave me a call on the phone, and he said, hey, I'd love to talk to you about youth ministry. I've heard great things about what uh, your, your church is doing, about what your youth ministry is doing. I, I want to hear some things about the community. I want to pick your brain. I'd just love to meet you. And so I said, yeah, that would be great. Like, when do you want to meet? And so he set up a time, and, and uh, it was just a regular weekday because uh, we had the, the space to do it. But then the place was intriguing to me because he wanted to meet at Tony Roma's. And Tony Roma's is a steakhouse in Palm Springs, California. And that doesn't sound like super unique or interesting, maybe if you don't understand the background, but coming from a Seventh Adventist tradition, Seventh day Adventist tradition, he, he didn't eat meat. Part of the way that they would worship and the way that they expressed their devotion to the Lord is that they held a lot of the dietary laws and dietary restrictions. So, and then another interesting thing is that coming out of his tradition, their worship day, their day of sacred kind of set apart to the Lord is Saturday. So he would, he would do church on Saturday and he'd have Sunday off. He could watch football all day long if he wanted, right? The rest of us have to decide which service we're going to based on the game that's being shown that day, or pray for Monday night, right? But what was really interesting to me is I would often, okay, if I was going to put myself in a seat, I would look at the freedom that I have in diet and my tendency to, 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 to pursue worshiping the Lord in a variety of different days and ways. I would say that that is an expression of freedom, and I would have a tendency to put myself in the strong camp as a result of that. But when we met, he did some unique things. One is he invited me to relationship, and then he chose to take me to a steakhouse. He paid for the meal, and he ate ribs with me. Which, is, which, which means that he stepped over his restriction and limitation 
to meet me where I was. And I could look at kind of the structure of our lives and I could say, well, I, I typically walk in more freedom, but he was the one who demonstrated more spiritual maturity because he was willing to step into my world to create relationship and partnership, not to somehow violate his conscience, but to build a partnership so that we could work together to impact our community to reach youth for the kingdom of God. He considered me, and he served me in a really remarkable way. And that's what it looks like when we are willing to limit what we want or what our preference is or what we would say is our freedom or our right when we're willing to lay that down to preserve relationship and to meet somebody else where they are. I want to leave you with this thought. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul encourages us with this. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, in deference, would be another way to say that. Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look out not only for your interests, but also to the interests of others. If we would use our freedom in that way, if as a collective of players on the field, each one of us would take the ball and we would be tossing it to the next opportunity, we could move forward in a way that advances us into the things of the kingdom of God. We can lose to win if we express our freedom in that way. If we care for others above ourselves and if we're willing to accept their limitations in order to invite them into a greater freedom that we would enjoy together. Church family, if you would take an opportunity to stand, we're going to respond to the Lord. Worship team, if you would come back forward. As the worship team's coming forward, I'm going to invite you to just close your eyes for just a moment. and We're going to extend an invitation to the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and I'm going to acknowledge that in this moment, this, this could be an uncomfortable exercise for you and the Lord. When the Holy Spirit brings a conviction where he says, hey, you're not as mature as you thought. Uh, you're not as considerate as you believe. Um, you're not as humble as you would say you are. Those are hard things at times for us to hear, to listen to. But as we grow in our understanding of what it means to live free in Christ Jesus, for us to really do that, it comes with a need for us to consider how our freedom can be used and expressed to bring others into freedom as well. And part of that means that there will be times where we choose to take on their limitation to meet them in that place in order to move forward together or sometimes to step over our limitation in order to meet them in that place and move forward together. Lord, I ask that you would search our hearts today. Lord, I know that in our relationships that we're prone to the error that Paul addressed, when we see somebody who's living in a greater expression of freedom in a specific area that we feel limitation in, Lord, it's easy for us to cast judgment 
to be condemning and even condescending. Lord, would you guard our hearts against that? And Lord, for places where we're walking in freedom and we see others who are laboring under a limitation, it's easy for us to look down on. It's easy for us to become dismissive. Lord, would you guard our hearts against that? Lord, give us a willingness to walk in freedom, but to exercise it in a way that brings others into freedom as well. Help us to accept others, to bear with them, to consider them, and to serve them. Lord, and in our heart of hearts, give us a deference for the people around us that we would humbly submit and respond in respect. Lord, following your example. Lord, you emptied yourself of all of your divine prerogative to take the limitations of flesh, to come be Emmanuel, God with us, to live life among us, to suffer a sinner's death so that you could conquer the grave and offer us newness of life. Lord, may we be reminded by that. May we be inspired by that act of grace. And Lord, may we demonstrate that in the way that we interact with people around us, that we would die to self so that we might live in Christ and encourage others to do that as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A few practical steps for this week. They're practical, not necessarily easy, but they are practical. Three of them, number one, is accept others where they are. So in your interactions, relationships with people, meet them in that space. Number two, if there's kind of a, a, a difference or a tension, a conflict, take a posture of humility. And then number three, after that, choose to lose so others can win. Use your freedom to invite others into freedom.